Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Brian, how are we doing today? What's up? We're not too bad. We're going to do another case study podcast today. Um, no, I was going to say we haven't done one in a while, but we have. It was just yeah. I think last week we didn't do one with uh, with Gary. Um, so I'm going to give you the brief, first of all, and then we will go through it as per usual. So just, uh, well... I'm sure the people, I'm sure the good people have seen this again in the title, as we nearly always say at this point. <laughs> the, the, the subject of the podcast is what the title said, which you've already seen. But of course, we record these before we decide on the title and before they upload. So anyway, case study podcast. The main subject is how to go about getting results with a non-tracking approach, because I think, I think you'd agree with me that the prevailing message in a lot of the fitness industry um, is that, you know, this stuff is easy. You just track your calories, just track your macros. You use my fitness pal um, and you're all good. Um, but what about the people who don't want to take that approach? And then, you know, like, on the other side, some of the other approaches that you'll see that maybe don't involve tracking are just kind of borderline or complete fad diets, which we obviously don't want for people uh, either. So sometimes I feel like there's a bit of a gap uh, in this sort of content that's been putting out, that's being put out there in, in terms of this sort of subject. So that's why I wanted to cover it today. Um, you know, what's what's your split on clients who track versus don't track, Dean? Uh, it's probably close to 50-50, I would say, or maybe even a slight skew towards, at the moment, maybe a slight skew towards tracking, but then it can at other times of the year, the pendulum can swing the other way. Like, but yeah, I would I would say like probably about 50-50, but you know, it can, it can swing either way. Yeah, I would say for my, my clientele, mm -hmm. it's about 60-40 in favor of tracking. So still a lot of people not tracking, right? Because that's something that people ask me a lot, you know, when when I'm dealing with inquiries or whatever, it's like, oh, do I have to, you know, track and everything? It's like, well, no, because, you know, if if my fitness pile didn't exist and there wasn't these methods to weigh and track your food, you would still have to have ways to get results, right? Um, and like, realistically, a lot of people aren't going to be tracking long-term, you know, they're not going to track forever. It's a useful, like, we'd view it as a tool, part of the, part of the process, something you can implement, but not, you know, not that it is the be all and end all. And it's not that it's the holy grail when it comes to getting results. So without further ado, I'm going to give the, the brief, right? So it's going to be a 40, 42 year old lady um, working as an accountant. She gets between eight and 10,000 steps per day. She does have some experience tracking food and, and calories and using my fitness pal, but she doesn't want to do it long-term. So she wants to opt for a non-tracking approach here um to get fat loss results right so it doesn't have crazy uh, goals in mind but you know she has modest kind of fat loss goals so she's currently 75 kilos she'd like to be sub 70 you know hasn't decided on a number as such but you know wants to lose about five kilos anyway and then we'll see where she's at and then maintain that obviously because there's no point in just losing body fat to then put it back on um, in terms of her exercise, she's doing small group training uh, three to four mornings per week. 
and so classes of you know four to six people and doing some lifting doing a bit of conditioning at the end and you know she has a an active social life she likes to go to family gatherings she likes to go out with friends um you know she'll be out for dinner or going for drinks or something social and along those lines most weekends um so she obviously doesn't want to give those up completely but would like some guidance on you know how to incorporate everything while uh managing her goals so that's what we're going to talk about dean take it away yeah so i think like when you're not tracking calories either because you just preferentially you don't like the um the, the tracking approach you're a bit of a technophobe um you know generally people that are a little bit older they, they generally don't potentially take on to using a lot of the apps and data and everything like that um and generally like as you said they're like long term you know you don't want to be you don't want to be using my fitness pal for the rest of your life as we said it's a vehicle to get you to your goals especially if you have a very specific <clears throat> if you have a very specific goal um like say for example just Shane comes into my head here and it's just, just because he's doing a bodybuilding show it's quite important for him to be tracking things because he's on fine margins but for the vast majority of people they don't want to be getting as ridiculously shredded as um Shane is um and I think with this lady like you know 5 kg is um it's a reasonable amount of fat loss or i suppose more than 5 kg because i know you you mentioned that she'd like to get less than 70 kg but it's not a gargantuan amount and you know i think over if if say for example we have a conversation with this lady and we set our expectations correctly she's happy to do this at a gradual pace because you know one of the key considerations here is that if you have an active social life and you're going to be engaging in activities with people that may involve a spike in calories because you're drinking alcohol or you're having meals out, a part of this is acceptance of the fact that that will elongate the process of fat loss to a certain degree. And that's totally okay. But I think the problem that people face is either they haven't accepted that fact or they don't realize that that's one of the reasons why they're either spinning their wheels, not getting results, or their results are getting a little bit slower. So I think it just, I suppose, setting expectations is quite key here. Outside of that, then, um, in terms of guidelines, there's many, 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 many different ways you can do this. Um, and I think it just comes down to personal preference and keeping sustainability in mind in terms of how you're going to structure your day because you still need to follow guidelines this person still needs to be in a calorie deficit even though she's not tracking calories she still must get into the energy deficit um and that has to be facilitated through some change to her diet and you know i have obviously a list of things that that i go through with clients and we obviously have a discussion about right you know, based on their questionnaire, based on conversations that I have, what might be most suitable for them and their preferences. Um, and we can go through those in a moment. But um, have you anything you want to add to that? No, I think that's uh, all important, pertinent information as it relates to this sort of case. Um, yeah, every, everything you said is is well worth mentioning. So I'm not just going to repeat it to say, yeah, that's really important. And that's really important. It was all important. So um, we can carry on. Um, like I think, I think one of the 
let, let's say, you know, for I can think of a, a lady who's um, been working with me and she's moved, moving away from tracking, right? She just, she just wanted a break from it, which, you know, is a, definitely a valid consideration if it's something you're doing for a while. Now, I will say some people don't mind tracking like long term. Like you look at Patty uh, has a multiple year streak on my fitness pal, I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, so some people are just fine with it. It doesn't, it doesn't take up any extra headspace for them. And it's just part of the daily routine. It doesn't take very long. I think that's a, a fair uh, assessment, but you know, myself, you know, I spend most of my time not tracking because I'm pretty, I have a pretty good idea of where I'm at, even if I'm not tracking. Right. And I have guidelines, which you mentioned, which is an important thing because back to the point I was actually making, you know, this lady was somewhat apprehensive about moving away from tracking. But what I said to her was like, unless, unless your food choice and selection drastically changes between you tracking and not tracking, it's not going to be that different. Like your, your food intake is going to be pretty similar. You know, the using my fitness pal gives you a bit more kind of scaffolding and, you know, support and accountability, maybe with that more objective accountability. But realistically, you know, if you spend some time forming good nutrition habits, they're not all just going to dissolve because you've stopped using my fitness pal. And that's often people get that into their head. I find that, you know, tracking is a prerequisite for eating well. It's not. Um, it's just another tool to teach you a lot about nutrition potentially for sure. Um, but you're still going to be following guidelines whether you're tracking your actual food or not. So let's let's actually get into some of those guidelines. Like I think about this as being like a checklist, you know, mentally for like meal to meal and maybe uh, kind of zoomed out more than that. But what kind of things are you thinking about, Dean, in terms of a uh, guidelines for success here? Yeah, like I think <clears throat> we will talk about where the restriction must come from because again, fat loss is the goal here. Restriction must uh, happen somewhere trade-offs have to be made especially um, if we consider that there are going to be calorie spikes during the weekends and everything like that however before talking about what restrictive behaviors we are, are worth implementing i think it's best to talk about the additive uh, elements of nutritional habits um now i think as you said like she this this lady has experienced tracking food um, so I think what, what you described there in terms of like that crossover from, let's say, for example, you do 12 or 16 weeks of tracking and you do learn about, okay, this is what a high protein food is. This is what high fiber foods are. You can carry those lessons over. Now, oftentimes what, what will happen is, you know, um, clients may not start tracking calories. They may just start with a habit-based approach. And this is whereby the education around some of these ways to tune your diet become important. And these are things like, right, okay, are we including enough protein in the diet? Is there three to four servings of protein in the day that are going to be probably between 20 and 30 grams? They're generally going to be high quality um, with all the amino acids that you need, either from uh, animal sources or from mixing plant sources or from getting plant sources like soy that are complete. Um, is this person getting an amount of fruit and veg that is going to add volume to the diet, but also add a lot of the nutrition and, and, and fiber? 
are they drinking enough water? And are they keeping an eye on the amount of ultra processed foods that they're having on a day to day basis? So those are kind of the the key things that that we that we want to think about um, from a perspective of, I suppose, general guidelines to think about as a, a checklist, as 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 you mentioned there as well. Um, and I think like a, a meal plan or a meal template can be helpful here for someone that doesn't want to doesn't want to track so again this gives them a little bit of a clue as to what um this type of a diet may look like in a sense of like right okay here's how you get more protein at breakfast or here's how you potentially make your lunch lower in calories but just as filling or if not more filling than the existing lunch that you're already having um and i think it, it is really just about tuning your diet in that way to get it to be essentially relatively high protein depending on you know your preference and your goals in this case you know muscle gain is not necessarily a massive goal and you know unless appetite regulation is a big problem then we don't need to have a mad high protein intake but you know a relatively high protein intake is useful um and again trying to like slowly increase the amount of like fruit and veg and other fibrous foods in the diet these are all going to be things to think about as a, in a checklist but i think if you know this is where meal plans can be useful or meal templates to teach people that may be coming from a background of low nutritional education to a place where they, they are a little bit more informed about things. Um, if that is the sort of the vantage point that you're coming from, but for this woman, she has experienced tracking food. So I'm going to assume that she has some education around what a good diet generally looks like. And as you said, Brian, you know, carrying those lessons forward, it should be generally smooth sailing, provided that she's got a little bit of help with this a little bit of support um and it's just about sort of tuning your diet in that way so that like you know if she's eating 21 meals in the week that somewhere between 16 to 18 of those meals are fitting that template of okay is there a source of protein here um is there a source of fruit and or veg multiple servings potentially and then we can sort of we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what she might be able to do with carbs and fats kind of after that um as well so yeah um they're all important points and they're all points that are consistent whether you're tracking or not right we're still trying to we're still trying to hit those targets um whether you are actually weighing and logging the food or not so in in terms of accountability to this you know what what kind of ways do you use with people because you know you don't have her my fitness you can't look at her my fitness pal diary so are you getting clients to keep a food diary somewhere or you know what, what way do you structure that do you get a photo diary uh, you get them write it down or because i think at least at the start you need some degree of self-monitoring right to to stay accountable to this stuff otherwise you know it's what what gets measured gets managed it needs to be somewhat objective um otherwise you can deceive yourself right so what are your what are your approaches there yeah so this is this is whereby you like you know having multiple tools in your toolbox is quite useful here like if you're a coach listening to this essentially having all of these options open to you and then through consultation with your clients, figuring out right, what's the most appropriate. So for me, I will use a mixture of either a digital food diary that that we that is shared within our sheet. And that's where you can kind of mix in some more intentional focus on appetite 
hunger levels, fullness levels, mindful eating. You know, you can kind of mix a little bit of that in with with the food diary that we use, a triage. Um, so I have a client at the moment. She's not really into the sort of the tech side of things. So <clears throat> what what I got her to do was she she got this really nice um food diary that you can buy on on Amazon. It's just basically all nicely laid out for for each of her meals. Tracks her, gives her a place to track her water, her snacks. It also gets it has a hunger rating scale um for her on each meal and um, date time everything like that and it's just a nice organized little notebook and what she does is um she sends me pictures of that um whenever we're doing a check-in to sort of see right okay this is what i'm generally eating um as you say a photo food diary can be quite useful uh whereby they just like literally take pictures of their food and, and send it to me um i would also use a habit tracker with with some of my clients as well and that can be sometimes in tandem with a food diary and that that is something it's literally just tick the box essentially where we would agree on like right here's three to six habits that are going to be useful within this context of like getting more protein getting more fruit and veg getting more water reducing the amount of sweets that you're having doing some mindful eating at this time of the day or whatever it is specific specific habits of the client and they just basically tick the box um when they've engaged in that habit um and their goal is basically to to build up as many ticks throughout each week and throughout each month you can also get again in the same way that i talked about the food diary you can also get um physical versions of that um james clear has one uh kurtz Gesacht also have a really nice one that's you know it's it's a little bit expensive, but I appreciate the, the it's a, it's very nicely designed. So anyone that doesn't know Kurtz's act, they're just basically a, an animated science-based YouTube channel that cover a variety of topics, but they have a really nice, like, just like a book, essentially, um, that allows you to sort of track your habits um, in a sense. So it's essentially just, I suppose, some level of still recording what you're doing, but it's not, you're not so focused on the numbers. You're not so focused on the macros, the calories, Um the fiber the you know you're not actually getting hyper specific numbers from uh, an app like my fitness pal chronometer macro factor but you're still tracking it to some degree and i think this is very useful for two different types of people um obviously people starting out that are developing this mindset around nutrition and developing better habits but also people that are potentially moving away from tracking and they're not totally confident in themselves um to be able to get their nutritional needs met and tick all these boxes without the use of some level of accountability. And this is useful, like if whether or not you have a coach, um, this is still useful for you to do, to do this level of recording because, you know, it gives you a chance to sort of reflect on if you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, because as you just mentioned there, um, what gets measured gets managed. And, you know, you can do this up until the point where you're more confident in your ability to, do all the things that you need to do with your nutrition, tick all these boxes without the use of a food diary or a habit tracker or taking pictures of your food and sending it to your coach. And, and you will get there. Like that's just, I suppose, that's the whole concept of habit formation. You eventually get all of this stuff to the same level as brushing your teeth. So it's just sort of done consciously without having to think about, about it too much and too much effort being put in. But those are the, the main ways that I would um, structure a non-habit tracking approach in some fashion. But again, depends on the client's needs, their preferences and on, on what they feel is realistic for them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I do the same thing. You know, just, we're on the same coaching team, so you can imagine we do the same things here. But 
you know, this is, I wanted you to speak about that because for anyone listening to this that might be, maybe wants to do this on their own, you know, you, you shouldn't overlook the value in, in this degree of self-monitoring. And it's one of the, one of the key factors for long-term success, you know, in, in nutrition, health, fitness is some degree of self-monitoring because if you're just going off and, you know, I ask you at the end of the week, like, how was your week of eating? Uh, and you can't really tell me, then you don't really know what you're doing. Like, you don't know, you don't know what you have to modify um, because you don't know what you're doing in the first place. Or like I said, you can deceive yourself, you know, maybe you just think about Monday to Friday and then, you know, it's kind of a, a black spot over the weekend that you can't really recall. And it's like, you know, keeping some amount of a tally on this stuff is important just and like those are nice um resources that you mentioned dean in terms of like you know, physical ways to keep track of this stuff everything is so hyper digital these days but you know that, that's a nice idea with that uh that client here is using the the physical food diary that works well um and you know i think you know you, this is kind of a side we mentioned the expense of the Kurskas act uh diary or planner i haven't seen it so i don't really know what it is but um the nicer something like that is i think the more inclined you'll be to use it and the more you'll enjoy using it so i think there's value in in spending a bit more on that sort of thing it's like you know writing in a copy book versus a nice moleskin you know journal or something like that there's a difference to it um so yeah i think it's a, i think it's a good thing to spend more on um because you'll enjoy the process more like you know things like the five yeah. minute and stuff they're nice and you almost look forward to using them whereas if it's you know because it looks good and it's well put together etc um so that can be helpful but that's kind of an aside so yeah you do need to you need to you need to have some degree of self-monitoring and that's one of the, like <clears throat> biggest pieces of parting wisdom i would give the clients when finishing up it's like just because i'm not coaching you anymore doesn't mean you should never reflect on how you're doing right it's a really important part of the process whether you're doing it on your own or you know if you're working with a coach working with us like we'll force you to do that in, in the form of your check-ins but you need to know what's going on because only with awareness can you actually make changes where they're necessary so we have a good amount of guidelines there laid out um there's a couple of um, two or three more things i want to touch on specifically um i'll maybe just lay them out for you and then you can decide where you want to go next with it where you want to bring us so i want to talk about what modifications to make let's say if there is a plateau in the fat loss you know let's say you're a few weeks a few weeks in um you know let's say she's lost two or three kilos or whatever but then you have a period of a couple of weeks where there's not much change I want, to, I want to talk about what we'll do in that context because, you know, it's not obviously as simplistic as if you're tracking. It's like, oh, okay, we'll just, you know, reduce your calorie intake or increase your energy expenditure. I mean, you I mean the latter, yes, you can. I mean, you're essentially going to do either or both of those things. But again, people get disconnected from the idea when they don't see the numbers, right? So I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about managing social occasions, um, you know, that were in the brief um and also uh or was that the only two things 
I feel like there's something else actually. It'll it'll come to me. So mm. yeah, yeah, it'll come to you while I'm while I'm chatting away. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'll talk a little bit about what you do in this context when you reach a plateau. Now, when I when a client reaches a plateau, whether they're tracking or not, before like even if it even if it is a client that is tracking their calories, I am always more reluctant to drop their calories because I think it's better to investigate whether, you know, there has been a little bit of potentially if there's gaps in the in the week whereby, you know, maybe they're they're forgetting to track something or, you know, there's little spikes in the week that would potentially uh, contribute to the calorie intake overall. Um, so I suppose it's just about essentially tightening up on the guidelines that, that we already have. Like, are those guidelines as good as they could possibly be? Like, I will, I will often, like, obviously we, we ask our clients to rate their diet quality on a scale of one to 10. And if it's like, right, okay, it's, she's been losing weight consistently and she's been rating her diet an eight out of 10 on all of these weeks. It's like, right, okay, let's talk about how could we potentially take your diet from an eight to a nine out of 10? What are the characteristics of your diet that, that feels like, you know, you're potentially losing out on, on those two points. And obviously we, we don't want to be like working too much towards like perfection because that's obviously um, problematic in and of itself trying to, to shoot for perfection. But I suppose if there are little gaps that we can fill in before making any reductions, because I think like when, when you make a reduction, that's kind of like, you know, it's, it's more challenging to go back from that if you make a reduction um so i think it makes more sense to really make things as tight as possible with regards to their adherence to the initial guidelines and then i'm also like more inclined to to go for how can we increase activity because i I like i generally find that most people do better if we can get them to lose body fat on as high high calories as possible especially within this context of you know her having a social life and her training and everything like that you know um you know, like obviously there are there are contexts where you know you can do very low calorie diets and stuff like that. But generally speaking, you know, if we can kind of create this reduction in weight uh, without having to drop calories elsewhere, then that's useful. But let's assume that right output is as good as it can be. Um, she can't do it. She doesn't have the time to do any more than ten thousand steps. She's not. She's not just not going to do any more cardio. Her diet quality. She doesn't recognize um, that there's any elements of it that um that are essentially uh worth changing that would have uh you know that she's missing out on in terms of like she's not adhering to the to the process in some capacity um this is where we might implement extra little things to pull to take the calories down and from a non-tracking approach you can do a variety of things here um you know you can chop a meal off your um your uh your scheduling so like say for example you could do a little bit of a fast whereby you know if you're normally eating breakfast maybe you push breakfast out a little bit more so instead of having your breakfast at 8 a.m and then having a snack at 11 a.m you have your breakfast at 11 a.m and you just chop that snack off so maybe you've gained you know another you've lot you've pulled 200 to 300 calories um from the day or from particular days you know you can you can implement fasting in a variety of ways you don't have to necessarily do it every day but that would be one way of doing it you could implement a reduction in carbs somewhere in the diet or fats so say for example if she is having carbs in her uh, breakfast or lunch like say for example she's having rice or pasta or potatoes with her lunch we could 
you know, again, not every day, but potentially some of the days we could say, right, turn that uh, chicken and potatoes and veggies into chicken plus more non-starchy vegetables and either remove or reduce the amount of carbohydrates um, in the diet. Another method of doing this is on the flip side from fats. So from sources of fats, if she's having, you know, peanut butter, avocado, dark chocolate, salmon, chicken thighs, ribeye steak, fatty cuts of meat, um, oils, although I think that would be a, an initial habit that we would be try, really trying to get across would be to use one calorie spray. But let's say, for example, she is using a little bit of oil in the diet. She's using mayonnaise, sauces, cream, butter, etc. You know, identifying, right, are there reductions that we can make here? And like fundamentally, like this is the same thing that you would be doing from a tracking approach, but we're just not actually equating the the calories that's coming from the carbs and the fats inside an app, but we're still doing that behavior because there's obviously like, you know, fundamentally, what what is my fitness pal? It's just a, a mathematical record of what what dietary behaviors you're engaging in. And essentially you you have to do this very the same things um, to achieve the change physiologically inside your body. It's just that within this context, we're not doing it, we're not recording it. The app is not spitting any numbers back out of you, back out at you. Um, so this is all the same stuff that you're still trying to do. Outside of that, then obviously, um, you know, if you can tune the diet so that it's like potentially reducing the carbs, reducing the fats, or taking a meal out in some capacity, that may drive. The reduction in calories and, and create the calorie deficit um and then obviously like if depending on how much ultra processed food she's having like maybe we have set some guidelines that she's having you know a a chocolate bar or a few biscuits in the evening with her cup of tea maybe if she's if she's happy to concede that maybe instead of doing that every night of the week she does that maybe three or four nights of the week and you know again this is a chat that, that we would have with the clients to make sure that they're okay with that um so that's that's where i would take things in terms of like a framework a mind map that i would use in terms of like how to approach a plateau um and again i've purposefully omitted weekend diet behaviors here because you know she obviously um wants to socialize and stuff like that on the weekends um so i don't know if you if you have any thoughts on that or if you want to take that one yeah um yeah the the things i want it was it was that one what to do with in the case of a plateau and then i think it's worth throwing in here what what actually is uh, what actually is a plateau um you know i was talking to a client today in a check-in and he said his weight is completely plateaued right and it's in his uh from his from his perspective it means that his weight hasn't changed across one week all right so that that's not a plateau right that's not a plateau um a plateau as far as we're concerned is a period of two maybe up to four weeks um where there is no like positive change uh in some of the important metrics that we're looking at um so be very clear, it's not one week, it's not two weeks of, you know, weight not changing. Like that is not how you define a plateau. Um, and that is under the assumption that adherence is, you know, very, very good. Because, you know, if adherence is not where it needs to be, then obviously you're going to be more inclined to not see changes. Um, so that was what I wanted to cover that. Uh, I wanted to cover like kind of treat foods as well, which you kind of touched on there anyway um in that sequence and then yeah the last thing was then just the kind of weekend dieting behavior so 
some of this has to be a conversation about what are they willing to change and how does that uh, overlay with their expectations for the results that they're going to get. As you said at the start, Dean, if, if you want to essentially change less, then you might have to accept a more moderate rate of progress, right? Um, which it's, you know, it should be acceptable in a lot of cases because like, you know, you're, you're flirting with having your cake and eating it too, right? You're not having to sacrifice as much while still getting results, which is a pretty sweet place to be in. Um, but if we're looking at things like weekend behaviors, right? I think we have to look at the food selection and the drink selection at these meals. We have to obviously assess how things are going overall like as time goes on you know you probably get away with more in the early stages um and the longer you're at it probably the the more fine-tuning the approach is going to need um it also depends i suppose what the kind of you know let's assume the social evenings the saturday evening we have to also consider what monday to friday looks like um because you know you can maybe you've more uh leeway to modify things monday to friday in in the expectation that you'll have a bit more freedom at the weekend right um but there's only so far you can push that obviously you know you can't get to the point where you're reading very very little during the week and then trying to essentially like that starts to look like a you know over consumption under consumption uh dynamic which we don't want right that will usually you know because if you're super hungry because of the way you're going about this during the week, it'll be harder to, you know, adhere to kind of good nutrition habits over the weekend and then just in general. Um, so looking at like food selection and, and say alcohol choices, you know, if that's a factor, like we're going to want to encourage someone to choose more lower calorie alcohol choices. Um, at a consultation with someone yesterday, we were talking a bit about this, how um, things have changed over the last, say five years or so in terms of the availability of different beverages. Um, you know, one thing that I'm finding myself recommending people a lot more lately is like staggering alcoholic with non-alcoholic drinks. Right. So, you know, the example I gave, like, you know, this, this, this would work really nicely if, if you're a gin drinker, but, you know, let's say your first drink is a, is a regular gin and slimline tonic, right kind of as low calorie as you can get when it comes to alcohol and then your second drink maybe you make that a zero alcohol gin and stomach tonic which is essentially calorie free there's basically nothing in that and then your third drink is another normal alcoholic gin and slimline right so you end up consuming less alcohol and therefore less calories but you're still in the same format for the evening out that you're having right so that might be a uh, a reasonable sacrifice for you to make there um obviously if you're inclined to drink more higher alcohol or higher, higher calorie beverages um, you know that's an adjustment that should be made um because you know we're trying to we're trying to match up what someone wants to do with what someone needs to do like as closely as possible so you know the the poor solution to that is to say oh just don't go out for the evening right <laughs> that's not a realistic prospect you know in some cases maybe for short periods of time like you mentioned shane earlier you know shane and emma are not you know going out for meals 
right? They haven't been for a while and they won't be for a while, right? But that is there at the extreme end of what they're trying to achieve here. Um, so for most people, it shouldn't need, to, you know, they sh shouldn't have to uh, do what Shane and Emma are doing in order to lose a few kilos. I can't remember how much weight Shane has lost now, but it's like, is it bordering it's on? Almost, tw almost 20 yeah. kilos, yeah, which is insane because like, you know, his body composition, you know, before wasn't bad like and i just it it's such uh, it's such good evidence for like the whole idea that we always have more body fat to lose than we think or potentially want to accept in a sense yeah, yeah. like yeah i mean shane's obviously well informed but if you had if you had gotten someone less informed and said oh here's shane now at 90 kilos you know if you told them then that they'll have to be like 78 on stage they were like oh, no like he's he's in good nick already but yeah there you have it um so yeah obviously the telling someone just to like not go and socialize is not a good option right so we have to help them come up with solutions that help them to you know partake that's what i usually how i usually look at this it's like you know if you're going out for the evening and you're having a few drinks it shouldn't really matter if your drinks are low calorie versus higher calorie it shouldn't really matter because it's not like your choice of beverage is not the main thing. Like it's the socializing, it's being with whoever you're with. It's, you know, blowing off some steam, having a bit of crack, whatever. They're all the important factors. And they're, they're all things you can still have irrespective of what kind of uh, alcohol choices you make. Right. Um, and this the similar uh, case can be made for say food. Right. So, you know, I don't think it's fair to say that going out for dinner it doesn't matter what you get uh, just so long as you're with company and so on and so forth, especially if you're a foodie person. Like I wouldn't class myself as someone who could just go out and not care whatsoever what the menu looks like, you know, because I like food and I enjoy that element of it. But we're trying to, we're going to have to help someone make smarter choices there to help manage the calorie low because, you know, it can really rack up when you're going out for a meal especially if you have multiple courses. So that's maybe one thing you can modify. It's like having one to two courses rather than going in for three courses, right? Um, you know, obviously the the choice of food that you make going for the ones that through your experience with nutrition and maybe tracking and coaching and so on that you know to be smarter choices, you know, the higher protein ones, but maybe, you know, you know, choosing like, uh, you know, a steak dish over a lamb dish because, you know, the lamb is going to have a lot more fat in it in most cases. Um, and trying to order filling foods and meals, trying to eat those meals slowly, um, not being afraid to leave food on the plate if you find that you are reasonably full. That's a really important one for people. Um, a lot of people just finish the plate no matter what. Um, and again, it depends on like the frequency of the socializing, right? So, the less frequent it is, the more leeway I would say you have. Um, but if it's going to be something that you want to do every single week, then you probably have to make some concessions about how you go about it um, to try and get the best of both worlds. Because, you know, you can very easily steer you away from where you want to be um, with your other goals and your body composition and health goals. Um, and, you know, like simple stuff like not getting like a kebab or a burger or whatever after a few drinks like that's a very low hanging fruit it's like okay you may 
be hungry. You may have an appetite at the end of the night, but you know, you can eat like a fill bar or something and that'll take the edge off and you know, you get to bed and you don't consume, you know, another thousand calories within an hour of bedtime, which is a terrible idea really. So those are the kind of things we'd be thinking about there. Um, you can definitely utilize some of the things you mentioned as well, you know, like the bit intermittent fasting, um, you know, at the weekend or, you know, during the week to help balance things out across the week. Um, definitely another good option, but is there anything else that uh, you would add there um, in that context of weekend behaviors? Um, I like to talk a lot to my clients about the mindset as well. When it comes to meals out in that, you know, from a perspective of, okay, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to enjoy myself, but I will have to accept the fact that, you know, first of all, there may be a spike in weight that may be due to salt, extra salt, extra carbs, um, you know, a spike in calories, you know, it's like... If you have a spike in calories at the weekend, some of it is is potentially going to be a little bit of added fat mass gained from that night. Some of it, some of the weight potentially is going to be from salt, carbs, et cetera, et cetera. But I think having the mindset that it's okay for that to happen and that that will sort of even itself out over a period of days, like provided, you know, as you say, like if your weekend diet behavior is 15 pints, a pizza and a kebab, then you know that's probably not sustainable and those spikes in weight will certainly impede your fat loss progress monday to friday and then like the framing of that is does it look does your behavior look the same as it did before you decided that you wanted to make these changes to your body composition and if if it looks the same then you really shouldn't expect too much to change right because you haven't changed anything so that's you know important feature so if your usual crack as you said is is 15 points and a kebab and a, like bookended by a kebab and a pizza it's it's why would you expect anything to be different anyway, yeah sorry, go on. yeah but then you know you can have a scenario whereby you know maybe you go out for steak and you get you and your partner share some chips and you also get a side of veggies and then maybe you share a dessert and maybe you have five or six drinks that are within that context of low calorie or the fact that you staggered them, like Brian said, you know, that's certainly a reasonable way to enjoy a nice meal out. It's not, yeah, it's probably going to be, you, you probably won't be in a calorie deficit if, if you're doing that. But, you know, if, you know, for example, on the Sunday, you just kind of get back to your normal behavior you accept that there may be a weight spike. You accept the fact that you may not be making just as much progress had you not done that, but that the benefits to your social, emotional, psychological health from going for that meal out with your friends, your partner, or whatever it is, then then it's okay. And I think that that mindset of, okay, I recognize that, you know, this is a potentially higher calorie meal, it is not within the same template of what I would usually eat during the week, but there are many benefits to doing that. And I'm okay with the fact that it may come along with certain consequences to my results. And I can accept that fact. 
And I recognize that I get a great deal of enjoyment from that. And also, let's say, for example, maybe this woman gets to 71 kg and, you know, maybe it is a case of her weekend diet behaviors is the thing that's stopping her from losing that last Mm. one to two kilos. And then you might have a conversation around, well, you know, everything else is looking pretty solid. Are you willing to modify that further? To a certain degree, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily the case, but just for to play devil's advocate, you might have a conversation either with yourself or with your coach from from our perspective, and might be like, you know what, I'm pretty damn happy the way I have been the last little while at 71 kg, and to be honest, I don't think it's worth it to sacrifice that meal out. Now, maybe there's a sort of a halfway between that as well, whereby okay, you and your partner instead of going out every weekend for drinks and and, and me and a meal out and dessert and everything like that maybe you do it every fortnight and your saturday ritual becomes a fake away night where you potentially have you know maybe a little bit less you have less alcohol and you, you do your own fake away whereby there's less high calorie ingredients or whatever used but again this is a conversation that you have to have with yourself in terms of sacrifices and trade-offs that are worthwhile and sacrifices and trade-offs that are not worthwhile for you to um proceed with the results that you want to achieve so i think having having that sort of a mindset of balance to a certain degree acceptance but also recognizing you know whether the juice is worth the squeeze sometimes in in these contexts depending on how far along you are with your results and how important it is to you yeah yeah very very important consideration i think as well you know you can think about the fact that Right. So, you you know, the the additional modifications to that weekend behavior may not be worth it to drop the extra, you know, one kilo or whatever it is. But like you could also consider that, you know, even if you are in a very, very small deficit, you know, if you if you sustain that for long enough, you know, it will keep you'll keep chipping away at it. Um, You just kind of have to, you know, it wouldn't be as uh regimented as as you might be up to that point but you know if you're able to manage it to some extent um you could still keep seeing the results but you just have to be patient with them um rather than expect you know you have to adjust your expectations you know by again based on what you're doing which is always the case really um yeah i don't i don't have anything else i think i wanted to cover on this do you have anything else Um, Last thing was just about, you mentioned about the treats as well, because some people do struggle to work in treats and stuff like that when they're not tracking. Yeah, it's like, you know, so the the general approach for this that we have is like, if someone's tracking is like, oh, you know, just assign 150, 200 calories or 10% of your calories or whatever it is daily or most days to whatever that food is and just crack away at it, just track it and keep going. So, yeah, if you're not tracking, you you can't, again, do the math as you're saying. Yeah, what is what is the approach there? Yeah, like I think it's still useful to potentially still use a calorie target here with regards to like treats whereby like, okay, you know, you you like your three chocolate digestives and they, they come in at, um, what's a chocolate digestive? Is it about 60 or 70 calories for a chocolate digestive? Something like that. Yeah. So let, let's say it's let's say it's 60 calories um 
for like a chocolate digestive or one of those thin versions of the the digestives that you get. So like maybe you like to have three of them. So there's, you know, at 60 calories, that's 180 calories. So you can assign that 150 to 200 calories per night um, or potentially even maybe a certain number of nights in the week, depending on like, you know, what is most useful to the person. You know, if they, if they really enjoy their ritual of like, you know, tea and a, and a treat at the end of the night, maybe it could be 100 calories ish every night or maybe it's you know 200 calories three or four nights of the week or something like that but again you know depends on the person um so you can still use that sort of like give you that little bit of 150 100 200 to 300 calories of whatever you want but and you can still read the nutrition labels um and on because like most of these treat foods <clears throat> yeah almost all of them i think i'm sure somebody will yeah actually Almost all of them come in packaging that, that gives you calories, except potentially stuff that you might get out of a bakery, um, which is, you know, obviously an exception, but, you know, you can read the calorie values of them. Um, so I think that that's useful to still sort of assign some level of, right, give yourself whatever X amount of calories per night um, to, for whatever you want. Mindful eating is also an incredibly useful tool here because it is essentially anyone that is at risk of demolishing a whole packet of biscuits it is your best weapon against that um we're not going to go into that here i don't think because we don't have enough time um but we've done plenty of content on mindful eating both on instagram and in the podcasts um i think i have an actual a full solo episode where i talk about mindful eating you can you can check it out it might be like how to improve your relationship with food or something to do with intuitive eating, I think it is. Um, so you can go down, go down through the podcast and talk about it there. Um, but that's very, very useful tool that you have there as well. <clears throat> and then, of course, you have just the whole concept of, you know, maybe you want something that is sweet, but is not the full Makai, shall we say. It's not like a full bar of dairy milk. You're happy enough with like one of those skinny whip bars or a freddo or half a protein bar or potentially some yogurt that has some sugar-free jelly and a meringue nest and some berries you know it's like it's hitting that sweet craving but it's still either ticking some boxes nutritionally with like protein or it's lower in calories or it's just very filling but it's not necessarily the full same the same thing that uh, a full bar of dairy milk or three chocolate digestives might be so you can kind of i suppose Pick whatever you want from that list of things that you could do. It's all very useful in non-tracking. And then combine that with mindful eating. And that's usually the most, I think, effective way of managing treats and stuff like that. But I think overall, like recognizing whether, you know, you're consuming a lot of treats and stuff like that at random times of the week and stuff like that is also a key consideration. So if you have a bit of a habit, like I had a consultation with a guy recently where one of his habits that he had to change was he was just on the road a lot and he was just found himself snacking on chocolate more often than he would like. So the habit for him there was, right, you need to make sure that you're prepared with fruit, rice cakes, a fulfill bar, some Cavard yogurt pots, you know, stuff to sort of combat that. So recognition of that level of how much treats you're having in your diet is also um key consideration. So Yeah, because that sort of a habit is not intentional. Like you're not you're not really gaining anything from that. It's quite low yield, um, but also can be detrimental. Like driving around picking out a bar of chocolate, like it's it's not it doesn't hit the same as that, you know, you sitting down with a cup of tea in the evening, you know, it's you have to decide like 
where you actually get the most enjoyment out of these kind of things. Um, yeah. I noticed that uh, Dean did not recommend that you just eat fruit if you have a sweet craving, like <laughs> like you see so often. Um, and to be fair, like you go back far enough, you probably find me recommending that. You know, probably go back like five six years, you man more actually. I'd say, you know, I'm sure I would say that. Um, but like, I mean, I was having a conversation with uh, clients. Uh, there's a little while ago now at this stage, but um, you know, she was saying that yeah, she was I think she said something like, Oh, I know I should just have fruit, but like I just really want the chocolate. And I was like, as, as someone who is an avid chocolate consumer, like fruit and like I love fruit and I love chocolate, but I don't think they're interchangeable. Um, because chocolate is creamy and has a very different texture to like an apple or something right so they're not comparable they don't hit the same um so i think that's kind of weak advice to tell someone to just like yes eat tons of fruit eat loads of fruit but if you feel like having chocolate not really gonna cut it like you're you reminded me of a video that i forgot to make um so (laughs) someone someone sent to me someone sent me a video of this girl um and she was like her nutritional advice was um Anytime you get a sweet craving, stick some glutamine under your tongue. Um, and uh, of course, she had glutamine to sell in her in her bio as well. Um, so I actually I need to go and find that video and make a video about how it's fucking nonsense. Um, it's like a polygonism. Um, he used to say that if you have a sugar craving, like it was like take take 15, 20 grams of glutamine with heavy cream. <laughs> drink and that'll knock your craving right off pal yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think the because you know the way most of these kind of wild pieces of advice they they have some origin somewhere that's not completely off the wall so i think it's something to do with like oh uh gut cells use glutamine as an energy source so yeah yeah i think i think that's probably where it comes from but anyway that's that's not really pertinent here but yeah yeah but, yeah, I but think it it just comes down to like the bitter if, taste of the glutamine will just make you forget about the thing you want. Perhaps, to perhaps, perhaps, or apple cider vinegar was another one, but you know, it's kind of like, is it just because you're making yourself a little bit feel a little bit sick from having to <laughs> stick apple cider vinegar down their gullet? Like, yeah. um, again, that probably has some origin in vinegar improving uh, insulin sensitivity. Yeah. At a meal, yeah. but again, yeah. just... highly mechanistic, highly mechanistic, yeah. And potentially, look at at the same time, like you know, I'm sure there are people out there that do find that effective, but I think in the vast majority of cases, especially if you have an intense craving for something and you try and just sort of like eat fruit or sort of do something else, you know, like you can you can do like surfing the urge, you know, give the craving a little bit of time to sort of, um dissipate and potentially try a little bit of something else that if it's not that intense but sometimes it's just a case of giving yourself permission to have the chocolate and just having the chocolate eating it mindfully having the really nice experience and then just getting on with your day yeah that would be my preferred approach all right um what one that can be effective that i don't i mean i don't find myself recommending it that often but sometimes it's like especially for people who find they eat too much like in the evening or close to bedtime 
if they just brush their teeth earlier, that can usually knock the yeah. extra consumption on the head because you just don't want to, you know, you know that you know how it changes the the taste profile of things that you have. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Your mouth feels all clean. You don't want to don't want to mess with that. So that can be an easy one. But uh, anyway, that's kind of gone off topic again. Um, so I think we'll leave that there, right? Do you have anything else yep. you want to add? I don't think I have. Um, guys, uh, we have coaching spaces available. I will leave the links for everything in the description as per usual. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please share it around. Please give us some feedback. Feel free to message us on Instagram. Our doors are always open and we're happy to receive requests and questions and all that jazz from you guys. We love to hear from you. Um, and yeah, we'll leave it there. Catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening.